listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Interesting statistic, the healthcare sector generates more than 19 terabits of clinical data alone each year. That's of um, as of May 31st, 2022, from a uh, data dump um, JD Supra uh, intelligence report. And that blows my mind, 19 terabits of clinical data each year. This is increasing. The question I have to our audience and listeners, and this is why we brought um, back um, a very special guest that has been a returning guest annually since 2021, uh, Pamela Spence, um, EY Global Health Science and Wellness Industry Leader. Um, We are curious, we have all this data, we finally see things happening in research, clinical trials, drug development, pharmacogenomics, nutrigenomics, and even opioid use disorder, where we're using data to do predictive stay ahead in what we call precision medicine or personalized medicine. So it's with great joy that I welcome back for the third time, Pamela Spence. It is so great to have you here. Thanks, Todd. And it's great to uh, to be back, so to speak, and, uh, you know, really excited and uh an honor really to be part of the discussion this afternoon. It's really interesting what you, you just mentioned about the um the data. And I think um I was not aware of that statistic precisely, but a similar statistic that that I often think about is the explosion in health data and the trajectory of its growth. And um the statistic being, you know, 36% CAGA predicted um health data to grow um between now and 2025 and the next industry uh growth rate is manufacturing and also financial services at around a six percent mark so it just shows you that the it's not only the quantum as you said it's the actual accelerating momentum and explosion in the generation of health data that's right and reason why I'm excited to have you here, there was an article that you authored that's titled How Innovation Can Unlock the Power of Data to Deliver Value-Based Care. That to me is is the expression rubber hitting the road. Uh, That's where data literally starts to make impact to the patients that are being cared for, the very complex uh, decisions that physicians, pharmacists, and care teams have to make is based on data and the data that they're extracting, as well as predictive data that's gonna be coming up. And I can even see customized medications on the fly when we start developing them um, more so and and in clinical trials. So this article, would you just take time to set the ecosystem of of this summary? And then uh, we're gonna definitely get into some questions. Sure, sure. And thanks, Todd. I think, um, you know, the data, I mean, data is only valuable if you actually get insights from from the data. And I, and I, I say to many uh, of, our, of our clients, you know, data is a cost uh, to house it, to keep it. Um, but, but actually having the ability to interrogate that data and provide insight and being clear on 
what question, what business challenge or, or patient challenge you actually want the data to answer is the key to being able to interrogate the data to generate insights. Uh, and I think also the, the key is it's not just your data that you might own uh, and have proprietary access to, it's how do you negotiate access to others' data sets to actually drive insight from them um, that, that you can then combine with your own. And, and that's why we, uh, as you, you rightly uh, cited, we, we talk about unlocking the power of data by connecting data sets, uh, combining data sets and, and collaborating to generate insights to really drive a better health outcome and health experience. And, and I think all organisations, whatever part of the healthcare value chain you you might participate in and have your core operating model to have that notion that future value is is going to be best for everybody and yourselves by unlocking that power of data to drive uh, that, that that power of data by connecting combining and and, and generating insights to drive the, the uh, health outcome uh, and, and better experience but but we did um a lot of work um, during the last year, and, and previously we'd, we'd been talking about um, the intelligent health ecosystem, which is really mixing the opportunity of having insights from that data um, and using technology, again, to, to drive a better personalized treatment plan, a more effective, more accessible, more affordable plan for the patient. And so we talk about this smart health or intelligent health ecosystem, which is really a, a, a trajectory from the old analog days. And then we go uh, to maybe digitized model, which is really, I guess, the um, the digitization of an existing operating model um, to a connected model and then to a truly smart model. And I and I I, I often paraphrase the, the digitized model is you're using your own data. The connected model is you are collaborating with somebody else's data to increase your value proposition. And then the smart is a multiple, multiple um interplay between multiple data sets and and what you get with that is i think digitized systems can be one way in terms of more diagnostic ability um for for patients and providers payers different stakeholders um connected i think we get more into the uh uh, predictive element of how treatments can be um, delivered. But with a truly smart, intelligent health ecosystem, I think we can move from um, predictive very much to prescriptive. And um, just, I'll just indulge, indulge me um, with allowing to share an example. So, for example, in um, and say you have a, a respiratory uh, challenge. The old analog days, we're, we're all too familiar with the inhaler, Ventolin, of course, being, being a, a leading inhaler. And then I think digitized, you know, there's some organizations who specialize in the respiratory area. I was very impressed with uh, in recent years, they teamed up with a, um, with a weather station and using and collaborating that, that data with a weather station, they were actually able to, oh, sorry, missed misstat a stage, sorry. Analog was the old inhaler. The digitized example was the inhaler with a chip that actually recorded 
um, when you puffed. Uh, and so you had a record of when you needed it. And connected then this, this weather station collaboration with the weather station data, one was able to um, predict to the patient when they are more likely or not to have a, an episode. And so to take a preventative puff. But then truly smart, wouldn't it be amazing if you actually looked at what causes asthma and respiratory disease? It's actually a neurological response to a trigger that then causes inflammation, uh, which, of course, then the, the inhaler tries to, to calm down. Now, a truly smart system, why wouldn't you have a bioelectric implant, say, in near, near the lungs, near, in the body, that could actually stop that neurological trigger manifesting itself in the inflammation? So you can move very, very um, smartly to actually preventing rather than treating. And that's that's an example of of how, how the um, how the intelligent health ecosystem could work in the future. Having said that, though, um, what we're seeing is quite a disappointing uh, innovation rate uh, across the whole spectrum of uh, stakeholders in the healthcare system, and and things aren't really moving beyond digitized to connected, and certainly not at scale, uh, meaningful scale. We say in in more than than five geographies, and and I think that's a big big disappointment. And so that's when we started to look at, well, why is this happening, and um, what is stopping us. Because the logic is all there. Actually, the data uh, could be there if we linked it up with technologies, and technologies are moving super fast. But but what is it that's actually really stopping us? And and the the through various workshops with different different stakeholders, we we came very much to the conclusion it's actually whilst we all want better treatment, better care, actually when you look at what different stakeholders value um, when they're looking at their own business model, they value different things. So, you know, the patient would like quicker access um, to uh, and in a convenient way. The, the provider really wants the most cost-effective uh, evidence-based treatment plan. The, the payer, of course, is is looking more at um, the overall cost of, of trying to keep people well. But the policymaker is looking at, you know, at a population health rather than an individual health. And and the biopharma companies, of course, would like to get their new innovative medicines to as many people as fast as possible. You know, those who need them. So, whilst you look at what people value and how they define, therefore, value-based care when they look at their business model, it's sort of the same, but fundamentally it's not the same. And therefore, people are making investments to suit um, a density of, of their criteria as opposed to collaborating with somebody else, perhaps going a bit deeper in the data, perhaps expanding what that data might be that I want to look at, interrogate, use technology to unlock the power of. And, and I think it's that lack of alignment in terms of what is valued and therefore 
what is prioritized and therefore what is investing in is uh, that that's stifling the opportunity that we all have to uh, to really make that uh, that those those jumps in innovation from digitized to connected to 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 smart uh, as i outlined above so i'll pause there todd i mean there's there's more in in our report of course and we we still go on about the consumer experience and healthcare is nowhere near how seamless and connected uh, uh, perhaps other experiences are with platforms such as Amazon, Netflix, uh, uh, Uber, etc. But but um, that's a, a sort of pricey in, in in our report and a sort of urgent call for you know how can we collaborate better? I think it's the devil is in the detail of the data and the data sets. Well, Pamela, I enjoyed the way that the article was laid out, including the graphs that were used and the segments of the um, five players in what is healthcare innovation, what is value-based care. Uh, and as you mentioned, the patient, the provider, the payer, the policymaker, and the biotech or med tech companies. And what I'm when I'm listening to you and the frustration in your voice, knowing that we have the data, we have had it for many years. Now we have the technology to decipher and start utilizing. Now we have the technologies to start implanting the data in order to make better decisions. And as we said, sometimes predictive uh, decision-making based on the mass outcomes of certain patients on certain, let's say, medications or treatment modalities or whatever it is. I think that there is a fight between the payer, the policymaker, and the biotech or medtech organizations that are slowing down innovation where the provider and the patient are standing on the sidelines waiting for those three other entities to get their game in play and the profit or the money that is there based on government funding or private funding or whatever it may be, it starts to cloud incentives to the payer, the policymaker and the biotech or medtech provider in what is best for the organizations um, that need the medications, need the technologies, um, and and the and the, of course population health, the people that need these services, and we could talk on a whole other podcast about um, organizations that know that their communities are suffering or communities nearby where they don't even have enough healthcare services, regardless of all of the data and innovation. So. What I want to just know from your perspective is, is kind of an ecosystem question. You know, how do organizations collaborate to shrink the risk data and rewards and realize that there really is a better future out there if we did align better? Yes, thanks, Todd. I and I and I recognize the the, the challenge that that you you outline, of course. But but I, I do think it's um we we each of us and i think you know no one is going to do it and then we can just follow i think there's a, a responsibility in each of us to think a bit broader and and I'll, I'll give you a good example that one of the i mean i know this isn't necessarily to sell ey's capabilities and solutions but but we do have and we have invested in i'm very proud of it we're calling it um our health outcomes platform but but it's a mechanism at which the the biopharma and the provider uh, or payer, sometimes they're the same, can actually contract 
to get access to new innovations and payment is then uh you know can be flexible and and a particular example it was um and and you know again the 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 um the the payer um wants something cost effective the provider wants something that works and evidence is is that, that it works and the biopharma company of course wants to get their innovation uh, and get appropriately or and or fairly paid for it so um we in this the construct of our health outcomes platform as i'm you know a biochemist by background and i'm i'm still very passionate that we're only going to get innovation if somebody pays for it, but innovation should only be rewarded when it actually has worked and or prescribed in patients where it's more likely to work than not. And that's not always what we have today. So this particular example, using our, our health outcomes platform, there was a, a biopharma company that had um, a, a new medicine that was a, a subcutaneous variant of a previous IV infusion. Um, and it's, I'm sure, not lost on your listeners that going from an IV perhaps to a subcut probably, well, it did induce, um, but I'm sure your listeners are ahead of me, a whole new um, patent life and the, uh, the IV was subject to generic competition. So their incentive, of course, was to move patients on this IV times six to a once subcut injection. That was what they really wanted um, to avoid. You know, we have to we have to also have commercial models, otherwise they don't work. Then they're just philanthropic pilots which don't scale. Now, what the 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 provider and in this instance it was the, a provider payer, but what they wanted is something that was proven to work, but in the general scheme of things was more cost effective. So we came up with well, okay, the contract was there was six outcome measures there was you know we, um and three were clinical three were non-clinical i think it's really important for us all in the industry to recognize that it's not always a clinical outcome that is valued by the patient quality of life are, are also uh in the patient's mind often uh equal um and what the um payer provider wanted was actually if i think about a once injection if it proves to work it's much more cost effective than a six times in uh, infusion uh, and or it could be delivered at home perhaps with a skilled practitioner uh, nurse practitioner visiting or even if the patient was up to it actually delivered themselves so you can understand here you've got actually the same outcomes measures if they worked uh, and then there was a reimbursement um, variation for completely different reasons. The pharma company was happy because it met their um, prioritization of value. And the payer and provider was happy because it also met their prioritization of value. But the, the trick to bring it together and to collaborate was actually understanding what data do we need to investigate to actually agree that these six three clinical, three non-clinical outcome measures had actually been met or not. So I do think it's possible. I, I understand the, um, and, and of course, you have to go into individual drugs, uh, individual therapeutic areas to actually get that level of specificity to avoid what you articulated as, you know, the, the, this, this perceived conflict. But we do have data and we do have technology that can replicate at scale some very narrow parameters that I do believe 
um, when the outcomes based it can actually overcome this apparent mismatch in terms of what is value and everybody can align and everyone then can feel um, good about the outcome. Thank you for that. It's, it's, it's aligning and bringing into focus what is uh, value-based care based on the players and the data. I think of before we started recording, you and I were talking about moving um, through the evolution of where we were uh, going from analog to digitized care to connected care to smart health system. And I love the um, suggestion and the outline, um, the ideas that have been presented in this article. So how do we move when I think of this, I think of the players, I think of how difficult this is, and this is worldwide. This isn't just here in the country, um, United States, or even in, in Europe or anywhere really, um, modern or not even modern um, settings where they have the challenges to delivering healthcare, getting healthcare services out there. But how do we move from a slowly digitizing world to a connected care, and then ultimately moving to this smart health system um, that you've outlined? I think the, the biggest shift, and I, and I think most um, developed and also developing countries are at you know elements of digitized. So I think the real jump comes from digitized to connected, and and that means collaboration with one extra person. And smart, of course, is is multiple collaborations, um, all all interconnected, interoperable. But I think the biggest thing is, um, <coughs> excuse me, when each of us um, is thinking um, about where. How can I drive better value for my organization? There's, there's almost certainly some clearly defined parameters because every organization will have the strategy outlined. And then I think the the, the better question to then ask is now, are there what data sets do I really need to interrogate to give me a better value proposition? And then Adjoined with that is now, is there another stakeholder in the ecosystem that actually I then should could collaborate with to help me gain access to that, to their data, to help me with a stronger value proposition? And then think, okay, let me approach them, let me be very specific. But if they understand what I'm trying to do, then they're likely to have a sim similar uh request you know have i got data that might be valuable to them and i think that's what we talk about unlocking the power of data because it has to start with the data that you own and or have access to that i think will unlock it that and the spirit of collaboration and actually having a strategic notion that actually if i had access to somebody else's data i would actually drive a much better bigger value proposition for myself and that might my, my organization and that might be measured in profit terms it might be measured in um a patient um number of patients you know I, I can see you know depending um you know everyone has to make a bottom line and be commercial whether you're for profit and or not for profit everyone has to be commercially viable so that i think that's why i come back to i, I said earlier it's on us all to start thinking 
how can I enhance my organization's value proposition with somebody else's data? Yes. Yes. And it opens up a deeper study that EY uh, invested in and within this article and be sharing with our listeners in the in the show notes of this podcast, you will find a link to this article, how innovation can unlock the power of data to deliver value based care. Inside this is another link that takes us to a 24 uh, slide PDF that breaks it down even further, which also uh, references the five irrefutable facts that are affecting health, the healthcare industry such as socioeconomic forces, our required capital efficiency, uh, workforce shortages, goodness gracious, everybody knows um, that that's since the pandemic has really um, increased in knowledge of, of our workforce shortages. Uh, customer engagement and under customer engagement is the interpretation of value of the care that a patient is getting. I think of the evolution of our mobile phone and when the um, when the iPhone came out, it was a revolution to the patient, not patient, the customer experience and the engagement that that phone gave us, that platform gave us. It was brilliant. And then the fifth one is technology integration, one of my favorites because I'm a, a techie nerd and I, I love listening to technologists and uh, theorists and and um and people on the EY team like you, Pamela, that really kind of dissect this and what it means for uh, healthcare overall. Uh, talk to us just as a as an overview before we we wrap up today. Digging into this um, this presentation, what can we flag for our pharmacists out there who are very uh, sensitive um, to the totality of data, meaning data equaling value-based care. Yeah, thanks, Todd. I was half expecting us to sort of close on, so what does it mean for, for the pharmacist? So I think um, I think it's been amazing um, since the advent of COVID, uh, and I often argue that the probably the only good thing to come out of COVID was the demonstration by patients or consumers uh, desire and need to have um, a care, mobile phones or outside of the um, the traditional setting. So I think that has only whetted its appetite. And, and you referred to um, some of our slides. There's, um, we've actually done a consumer health survey that was actually released last week that actually looks at consumers' attitude to health data um, and again, it's it's not the consumers that are holding back sharing data if they actually know that's key. They 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 want to know where it's going. So I think that you know the the um, the whole COVID virtual care, remote care, people beginning to change their cultural mindset um, and actually wanting to share data and and um, you know, receive care in different settings. I think that only accelerates then the push that people want a health experience like we have on Netflix and Uber and, and Amazon. And and I think that the pharmacists have a real opportunity. I mean, like, you know, in the healthcare worker shortage, I mean, the primary care physicians are absolutely overwhelmed. So, you know, what business model 
is uh, what an opportunity for for pharmacists to you know um move much more and i know there's legislation but move much more into prescribing um perhaps with a with a uh, the knowledge that they can offer a better customer experience um because so many of our pharmacies physically are located in very convenient places mm-hmm. uh, by their very nature so i think that um yeah, I was just thinking, um, you know, what advice do I give to my 18-year-old niece who's just finished her her school and, you know, wants a year out before she goes to uh, to college or we would say in a UK university? And and maybe it's it's something like pharmacy because I can see the opportunity that that pharmacy has to really seize uh, an experience gap in in the healthcare ecosystem is is huge and and I think that. You know, I, I don't believe it's it's um, too far off to have uh, a much broader ability to prescribe. And again, you know, each geography is different. So I think that is the opportunity for for the pharmacist to um, to offer that that better health experience um, and and linking in, of course, to to the local uh, payers and providers much much more tightly than perhaps have been done in the past. And I'm sure some are are there more than others, but that to me is we will demand as patients and consumers experience in our healthcare because we see it and experience it in many other aspects of our lives. So there's no reason from a patient or consumer's perspective why healthcare should be different. Pharmacists have a huge opportunity, I think, there. Absolutely. Yep. And I want to give our listeners who are driving to work right now or or walking or listening, um, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this question. If you want to engage, um, please, at Pharmacy Podcast. Um, Pamela, you're on Twitter as well, so they could definitely find you on LinkedIn. But I want to ask the question, how will you jumpstart innovation to unlock the power of data to deliver value-based care in your pharmacy setting? How are you going to jumpstart innovation? Um, think of yourself as a community pharmacist. What could you be doing to really help jumpstart innovation based on your documentation, based on collection of um, what your uh, patient is telling you, putting that into um, your your capturing and note system, sharing that information with um, other um, providers and physicians, collaborators, and then rinse and repeat, whether that's in our senior care positions or our rare disease states or... Um, really any of the sectors, our hospital system uh, pharmacists, but it really is a, a, a wonderful report. I want our listeners to take time to go through and read. Like I said, we'll have links in the show notes. Um, this has become a very special annual opportunity to talk with Pamela Spence um, with EY. And um, this has been, as always, um, a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, We're going to be looking for you to return for your fourth because this has become a tradition with us. And um, Pamela, I just thank you. Thanks very much, Todd. It's delighted to, to join you this afternoon.